Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. Hello again, I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And welcome again to Leading from the Front. Our guest today is a business accelerator and an expert in the intersection of technology-driven productivity and customer experience strategy. I love that, that we can combine technology with customer experiences. His ideal challenges are expanding international organizations which need help adapting their leadership, technology, and people during these transformations. Past positions include chief technology officer in a retail cloud-based software as a service company and customer experience executive for data science and data privacy. So I I like all this technology stuff because having worked in technology for 25 years, it's uh, near and dear to my heart. And also our first international podcast guest, I'd like to welcome today from the Netherlands, Chris Parker. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing very well. Delighted to be here, Dr. Gary. So really looking forward to this. Well, Chris, I'd like to hear a little bit about your background, what you're working on now, what are some of your thoughts? Because through all these experiences, having a degree in engineering, I came from that technology world and learned how to be more empathetic and understanding as a leader. So let's let's talk about your journey today and how where you are and where you came from. Absolutely. Well, my journey seems to have been a bit the opposite of yours, meaning my education was actually in accounting. Ah. I've entered technology roles and technology companies somewhat by accident. Um, you know, doors open and, and in I come. And so it's been a series of, of maybe uh, going from door to door or, or accident to accident or a f- few failures along the way. And that has sort of provided a, a combination of skills and experiences that are perhaps a bit Odd. I don't know. I'm curious to see what you're feeling about. Well, you know, you got to be you got to be careful when you say failures because I, you know, you've listened to some of my podcasts, and I jump right on that and say, okay, you got to share one of your greatest failures that turned into a great learning for you. What? Because we've all been through that. It's been painful and struggling. But what? Can you share one with us? Well, absolutely. It's as I'm, you know, occasionally coaching as well. You know, as as a coach and also as as an executive or as a leader. Are failures truly failures? But one that I would I would really love to highlight is you mentioned as a you know customer experience and operations responsible for a data science and data privacy company. We worked on that project for well over a year. We had a wonderful corporate sponsor. We had the top technical capability. We were even working with some people who were ex NSA National Security Agency. They were over in over in Europe working with us. The the goal and the ambition was to enable corporates to engage in what you could say would be bulk surveillance, but, you know, large scale automated analytics while respecting the right of privacy. And we were never able at the end of that to actually simplify it down to an actual value proposition that was scalable. So by that definition, we failed. And then in conjunction with the uh, corporate sponsor, we decided to wrap it up. Along the way, we did lots of interesting stuff, like with the Dutch Immigration Office, we helped them, you know, improve their analytics capability. And from there, we, you know, the the architecture that we came up with is used again and again. 
So, you know, there's always a silver lining in this, but that was something that when I look back at it, we had commercial talent, we had technical talent, we had, you know, security talent, we had the operational talent. And I found that deeply frustrating sometimes when we were never able to sort of see the forest to the trees and, and maybe, you know, get out of our own way. So what were you, what were you focused on? You focused on the, the, the coolness of the technology and what you thought it was and didn't realize that it wasn't sellable. I mean, what, when, when did that realization occur or what happened? Well, about midway through the journey, we realized we were all focusing on different things. And that was a bit of the spark that has evolved into, into something that I've now published, which is called the Simplicity Scan. It used to be called the, the Simple Business Canvas. And it's just sort of a checklist of 15 topics that I found that if, you, if I am able to answer these honestly and, and comfortably, then things will start to flow. Because something that really resonated along the way was if it doesn't feel good, it won't end well. And so what we ended up doing is having this series of structured you know, conversations and dialogues with the, with the management team to find out, why are we here? What are, we, what, are we, what are our ambitions? And what we discovered was there was three you know, value sets that were pulling in opposite directions. Some people were there, the NSA guys were there because they wanted to prove that they were able to do bulk surveillance legally, which is ambitious and, and, and honorable. Some of them were attracted because they were pure activists. So they were anti-establishment people that really wanted to, you know, to sort of do the right thing. And there were others that were there really for a commercial gain. And those three, thing, those three things were, in the end, just weren't compatible. We weren't able to work through that to, to really focus on one of those missions. And so in hindsight, I wish I would have had the simplicity scan up front. And, and for me, that's an actual a personal action that I will always do now before I get involved in new initiatives and new companies, uh, is have that hard conversation up front with the other leadership. Why are we here? Who is our customer? What is the product? What is the experience we're going to create? What mindset are we, you know, coming to this? And if you, and if I'm able to have that real meaningful, deep conversation up front and we can, if, if we can connect at that level, then I'm sure we can get everything else done. Really what you're talking about, it, it is simple. I like the simplicity scale that our scan, simplicity scan. That's, that's a great, great name because it's easy to remember. It's simple. I like that. And, but the things that you're talking about, the word we use in leadership is alignment. It's alignment. And I've often uh, done this exercise and, and, and people could do this for themselves in, in a room with their, their leaders. Uh, if you're in a room with uh, 10 or 15 or 50 people, everybody close their eyes and face north. And then when they open their eyes, you've got people facing in different directions. Some people are really good at it. Some people look, look at somebody else and they say, why did you turn the way he did? Because I have no idea where north is. He looked like he knew or she looked like she knew. So I, I, I followed her. And then you have people in all different directions. And I said, okay, imagine an organization. And I'm going to ask you this question with this, Chris. Imagine your organization with three different sets of missions and values that are all pulling against each other and the amount of tension that it creates because of this underlying misalignment and people getting frustrated because they feel like they're moving towards something and the other people are holding them back. I don't have to imagine very hard. <laughs> I, <laughs> Did I, you I, experience that? Well, I've lived through that. Well, I, you could almost say in every, in every organization I've been in, in, in different ways, because I think the, the larger the organization, because one of the roles that, that you didn't mention was early on, earlier on in my career, when I first moved over to, the, to Europe, I'm originally from California, 
uh, but I'm still happy to be your, your first international guest. I, I moved over in 2001, and for the next 10 years, I work with um, a company called LeasePlan. And LeasePlan is the largest fleet management mobility provider in the world for lease cars. Um, brilliant company. You know, it, it was privately held, but, but very sort of family valued. And even in a company like that, with if you're over 30 countries, the, the differences of opinion of how to achieve almost anything creeps in. And then if you don't manage those tensions, then you get frustration, you get burnout, and you get all sorts of you know, issues. So I don't have to manage them too hard. And then in hindsight, I wish I would have had something like the simplicity scan every step of the way in my career. And it doesn't have, for me, it doesn't matter which template or format you use. If you just have the meaningful questions that are truly important to you and you have that conversation to achieve that alignment with your peers, it is so valuable. So what do you think going into an organization would have happened in some of these organizations if you had done the scan before you took the job? Well, hopefully I wouldn't have taken the job. Because um, there's, a, there's a mismatch, right? That, that, you know, and it's not that I was looking for that answer, but yeah. th- this is what happens, right? And I want to go back to my, my analogy of, of everybody facing a different direction. People start moving forward. And if you connect in an organization, if you can think about this in a, in a conference room, people are facing in different directions and then connect everybody with a bungee cord. Mm-hmm. Right? And they start moving. And you can move a little bit. You can get, you can make, take a few steps and everything, but every step you take is going to get harder and harder and harder to the point where if you're the, the ones that are the strongest, the most passionate, the loudest, the biggest jerks, whatever it might be, are the ones that are going to start pulling on that bungee cord and getting people moving in their direction. And that's not necessarily the right direction. No, no well, it might be by accident, but no, not, necess- not necessarily. And another exercise. Again, I've, I've had some the, the privilege of, of having some amazing you know coaches and mentors along the way. And one exercise that was similar to what you did, if I can re- recall it properly, is, is there was probably 60 of us in a room. And it was talking about the, the power of simple rules, like simplicity again. I hadn't connected that before. The simple rules and organizing. And so what they did is they said, okay, in this, in this room, you pick two people at random and you, you organize yourself so you're equidistant from the, those two people at random. And then it was amazing on how quick that group of 60 people orga- self-organized into a, a stasis, a, a, an actual stability. And so if there was a clarity of instruction, you know, because, you know, face north without, you know, a compass is, is a challenge. So it requires some dialogue and some research. On the other hand, if there's a simple rule, like just organize between these two points, those same group of people can actually, you know, connect really fast. And so somewhere in between there, there's the balance of, of maybe some leadership skills. Well, certainly. And, and when you have alignment, you get flow, you know, you get and and not everybody in an organization is going to be moving exactly the same direction. But like you said, if you could have done your scan ahead of time or even in the in, within an organization, when you've been there a while, you're going to self remove yourself. You're going to you're going to, you know, create a, a scenario where you're going to look at this eventually and go, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. You know, or in some cases, you know, the, the famous Jack Welsh with GE, he said there's four kinds of people. There's people that high performers and match the values. You want to pay them a lot. You've got low performers, don't match the values, fire them. You've got the two in the middle are the real challenge. Low performers mm-hmm. with that match the values, find a seat on the bus to use Jim Collins, a good to great uh, uh, analogy for that. And if you can, 
try a few times, a lot of times you can save a lot of people because it's hard to find people with those values. But the most challenging ones are the people that were high performers and didn't match the values. Mm-hmm. And we make so many mistakes with that because the people that don't match the values are sucking the energy out of everybody else. My bungee cord again is they're the ones that are pulling the other people in the organization in different directions and throwing people off track. And yet as executives and leaders, we don't recognize that fast enough and we often don't fire people fast enough. I would perhaps challenge in my experience that I've recognized it fast enough. And for some reason I didn't have the courage to resolve it fast enough for, for whatever reason. Oh, we can talk about the psychology of that because it's, well, is it, you're, you're affecting people's lives, right? Yeah. If you have to, if you have to let them go or you have to reassess, well, for me, there's a balance of you're affecting people's lives if you have to let them go, and you're equally affecting pe- the other people's lives if you let them stay. Yes. You know, so, yeah, yeah. so if you let them stay, you're creating a toxic ev- environment for the rest. And if you let them go, maybe that's the best gift for them because they're undoubtedly unhappy as well. But that requires some courage. Every single time I have worked with organizations, both as a consultant or myself, and let somebody go, people have come up to me afterwards and said, what took you so long? The people around them know. And I, I've, I've told this story one other time. I had an executive that was resisting my coaching to get rid of a guy that was doing things that he should he should have been gone. Well, but he's working on this project and he's taking care of that. You know, he's a high performer, right? He kept talking himself out of letting him go. This went on for about six months. And he even had, vice president even had support of the president. He says, yeah, it's okay. Let him go. But he was a new vice president. You know, he hadn't fired a lot of people. He was very resistant. He, you know, he knew the guy's family You know, all of these things get in the way and, and are understandable. And I, I, I think that taking your time in an organization shows a level of compassion and empathy. You don't just start cutting people because you think that they're not a good fit. You try to find a fit for them. But after six months, I walked into his office one day and I said, so uh, have you let that guy go yet? And he goes, no. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, because he's no longer a problem. And he says, he's, you are you go, what he's exactly. You picked right up on it, Chris. And as soon as it, he's like, what do you mean? He's no longer a problem. You are. So I, I looked at him. I said, listen, you know that this needs to happen. And now what do you think the president is thinking about your capability in this job? And he went, Oh, that was a Tuesday. The guy was gone by Friday. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes sometimes people just need, you know, managers need that intervention to get moving. So so that was wisdom. I think he was really fortunate to have you there at that moment. That's coaching, right? A little coaching, a little consulting, a little fatherly wisdom and advice. But so talk to me about your path now where you've gotten into the coaching more. You you've gotten into the coaching more. You you've got this scan. You're um, thinking about working more with business leaders right? To offer this. There's a, in fact, in uh, Chris's website, Ebulent, is that the name of it? Did I say that right? You did not. Ebullient. 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 Okay. Like E-B-U-L-L-I-E-N-T. I'm going to put it, I'm going to put it in the podcast notes. Uh, Ebullient.com. What that, what does that mean? Tell me what that means. I love the word ebullient. Um, And it took me a long time to be able to pronounce it. And I think I'm pronouncing it properly but I'm going to go with it. Ebullient is an English word that means two things. Mostly it means joyful, playful, and happy, the, the ebullient puppy. And it can also be used as rough and tumultuous and, and um, like it could be an ebullient ocean that the ship is sailing in. And when I discovered that 
that sort of encapsulated the, the, the leadership journey or the entrepreneurial journey that I've been on, that it's so fun and playful and joyful, and it can be hard and difficult and rough. So that's why, you know, when, when you know, the crisis came and my last role as CTO of the, um, of the energy software company has been put a bit on pause, I said, well, let me lean into that and sort of fulfill that dream, put up the shingle, brilliant.com, publish the simplicity scan, um, and, and put that out there. So that's where I am. The, the, the context of it is I think the simplicity scan is me trying to treat myself of things that have gotten me in trouble in the past. And part of that is I, I believe I should focus more. However, where I keep finding myself involved in is, is three things. One is what we would call traditional you know, executive leadership roles, you know, CTO roles, CIO roles. That's where I make money oftentimes, you know, some, more and more with eBillion with coaching. But the first one is more traditional roles. The second one is, and we haven't spoken about this yet, but feature film production. So one of the, my passions is actually that's where my creative outlet is, is, is every two or three years we, we actually create a feature film. That's where I spend my money. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then where I really discover and learn and grow is actually through this coaching activity. And that's really sort of the enriching giving back. All of those things are somewhat project oriented and that's sort of the red thread and all of those things have an element of coaching and mentoring involved so so that's that's what i'm busy with at the moment well ebullient is a great word and i I love oxymorons and the definition is almost an oxymoron right and for those people that don't know what an oxymoron is it's a self-contradictory statement you know the famous ones by george carlin is jumbo shrimp military intelligence although i take exception to that having been a former army officer but yeah, that's a, that's a great, and our definition of leadership has the words compassion, accountability, and people think that that's an oxymoron and it's not. So I love that. That's great stuff. And I just want to point out that ebullient.com, you can get a free simplicity scan. So go to Chris's website, check it out. I think there's some real value in that. As he said, and we've talked about doing a short scan, maybe with your leadership team might solve a few problems to get aligned in those 15 areas, right? When I run it with leadership teams, what I recommend they do is actually just take the scan and independently fill them out and then either self-facilitate or get their coach or somebody involved or, or for example, you or me or, or whoever it is they trust with that. And then sort of consolidate the scans and see what I call where they violently agree and where they violently disagree. Because both of those are worth discussion. Because if they're all on the same page, are they all violently agreeing for the right reasons, you know, don't belabor that too much, but have the discussion of we're all really in agreement on this. Is it true? Just talk, just at least look at it and then go to the things that you're in violently disagreement on and say, okay, well, why are we disagreeing? Are we, it, are, do we have the same definitions? Are, are, are we, are we making the same assumptions? Are we ha- considering the same scenarios? Um, and then work through that process. And, and what I have advised people is if they don't agree at least write down what the assumptions are that they need to prove in order to reach agreement. Cause that's already, you know, value. So you can continue the dialogue and that's what it's all about. Yeah. And sometimes the disagreements are disagreements in, in concept when they hear the words and they find out that the assumptions they're making is what's causing the disagreement. Once they understand the assumptions, they actually agree. So I love that. And I really like the fact that you say those things that they violently agree with is to question those. Don't just, wash through and say, oh, yeah, okay, we all agree on that. No, again, the definitions, the understanding, the meaning, the description, the explanation, 
without that understanding, you may find out that you're in the Abilene paradox. Do you remember the Abilene paradox? No, tell me. So there's a book that was written. I'm trying to remember the name of the author right now, but it was called the Abilene paradox. And basically everybody on a Sunday afternoon decided the family, they all, I'm going to shorten the story. They all decided to go on a trip to Abilene. And at the end of the day, they got home several hours later and they're sitting down for dinner and people are all grumpy. It was hot out. And, you know, uh, somebody says, yeah, you know, that was okay, but I really don't want to go to Abilene. And somebody says, well, why did you say you wanted to go? And he says, well, I thought everybody else wanted to go. He says, well, I didn't want to go either. It turns out nobody wanted to go. Right. But the first person is, oh, what do you think about going to Abilene? Oh, sure, we can do that. And the next thing you know, everybody agrees. You got groupthink. Right. So I love that, that, that thing. If you violent agreement requires conversation. <laughs> so that's great. Absolutely. That's great. Absolutely. That's great. So where are you? So where are you going with this? You're, you're trying to build a business with your simplicity scan and with Ebullion and. Well, well. Uh, actually, if you don't mind, I'll just be some vulnerably open here. Um, yeah. The the initial plan was to really lean into it and, and monetize and, and commercialize the the coaching. However, particularly now during this crisis time, when I was having people and I was I felt myself going into the sales mode and and and, and starting to push it. That felt just so uncomfortable to me. I even I even signed up for a business coaching coach. And, and it was really about pushing and sales and scaling and automation and all these things that, you know, okay, I know these concepts. I, I train customer experience design. I can, you know, marketing technology and growth hacking. Yeah, know that. Um, but what I found was I was I was focusing more on the sale than the conversation and the value. And so it was actually a couple of weeks ago that I that I turned that around. And that's why when you looked at the website, it's, it's a little bit hokey because I've actually unraveled a lot of the sales automation pushy you know, lead pagey stuff. And it's like, actually, the reason for this to be here is for me to share what worked for me, the simplicity scan. And also, if people would appreciate some coaching, then that's how they can get a hold of me. And if someone wants to buy that, then amen. And so for me, you know, I, I know I've listened to some of your other podcasts, and you've been you really big on sales and, and the sales formulas and the which which are great. But right now in the in, in the evolution of ebullient, I'm just following my intuition. And, and following my gut and saying, hey, spreading the word right now is is what people need during this global crisis. And so that's why I'm here. So and as we talk on the, on the C-suite network, and I, I think that you're part of the same value on this, content is king. Okay, we're, we're talking about adding value and offering content. Now, if you don't have some form of sales and marketing, then you're going to do that in your office all by yourself for the rest of your life, Right. And uh, you can't add value if people don't know who you are. But at the same time, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I, I, I was an army officer and an engineer for 14 years before I had to sell anything. But I was told when I was younger, I should be in sales. My perspective on that was, was a negative assumption. So I didn't want to do that. And when I had my first business, I realized very quickly that if I was going to pay the bills, I had to sell something. So it's, but there's a balance in it. And I think you're doing the right thing, Chris. I think that by looking at the value of what you have to offer and build that slowly and build your constituency with it, have a few clients and do the things that you really, that resonates with you and the coaching and the simplicity scan, I, I, you, that's the right way to go. Because the sales and marketing to me in the work that we do and the value that you bring, it'll come. All right. It'll definitely come. So I admire you for that. 
thank you, and and I and I really appreciate hearing it from you. And again, I do those three things. So so you know the, the executive roles, you know those those come, and and now that at least in Europe with the crisis thawing out, things are really starting to move. And I consider you know you know being a CTO, CIO, which is really a a, a human job as opposed to a technology job, if you ask me. I, that's another place for me to apply this you know vision of simplicity. And then if there's some some coaching as well, and and we just finished a um, a short film project. It was, you know, it was about a uh, a lady who was abused as a child, and then opened up about that, had the courage to speak out about it, and then later in life was able to have healthy relationships. And she wanted to share that message of courage, and so we uh, we put a team together and and we've produced that film. It's a brilliant 17 minute film. It's going to be released in November. Th- that's also a, a way to give back as well. So, and, and this is, you know, so for me, it's sort of a multi-layered coaching and mentoring path that I'm on and I'm, I'm just loving it. Well, I, I love it too. And I think for our, for our listeners to recognize that uh, for, for all of us, there's never one path, you know, there's, there's our path. My father who, you know, I, he passed away last September at 90, 90 years old. And when he passed, I said, I was, I was grateful and I was sad. I was grateful because at 53, he had his first heart attack and he completely changed his life, got healthy and lived another 37 years. So I was very grateful for that. But he said to me in his later years in his life, trying to figure out what the heck I did in making good bosses into great leaders. He was like, I really don't know what you do. You know, I don't understand it. How, how do people buy your services? And I would talk to him. And later in life, he said to me uh, when I was talking, he says, yeah, I, I, I walked a different path. And he said, no, you didn't said, you created your own path. And that's what I'm hearing from you, Chris. You're creating your own path. And I think our, our listeners need to recognize in order to be an authentic leader, you have to follow your own path. Find yet authentic you, and then you can show up every day and be a role model for others, regardless of how you demonstrate that leadership capability. So that's really good stuff. So the question I like to end with quite often, you've heard me ask this question very, if you've listened to my podcasts, if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to Chris 20 to 25 years ago, what would you tell Chris? Well, I love the question. I've, I have heard you ask the question on, on, on other podcasts. I also received the question as the instructions in preparation. And so I've been reflecting on it. And, um, Something that I heard from a mentor long ago was that happiness is a choice. And that has stuck with me through my whole life. And I'm still discovering what that means. And so to write back to myself, happiness is a choice. Well, I actually heard it. You know, it was a gentleman in, in Utah, Sterling Larson. He was one, part of one of the fraternity uh, alumni chairs. And I, I had a, um, an opportunity to have some really meaningful moments with him. And he's the one who said happiness is a choice. And it, and it really stuck. And, I, and I've almost made it a study over life to, to discover what that means. And I wish I had the answer, but, but right now, if, what if I would write to my, my 20-year-old self or 20 year old, uh, you know, self 20 years ago, happiness is a choice. And what that means is to follow your bliss, to truly and meaningfully realize that you will be okay, that events happen in your life you know, that are stimulus, but you have a conscious choice on how to respond to it, you know, whether anger or joy or happiness. And that has been something that's been really meaningful to me, you know, looping back a bit to hard decisions like firing people and things like that. 
happiness is also a choice in that as well. You know, you can be sorrowful or you can be compassionate and empathetic. And if when you do that, do it full, you know, my approach to those is do it full of care and love and respect and communication. And also I choose to be content and happy with myself so I don't let that eat me up because I've, you know, I've made that mistake in the past. So the message to my younger self would be happiness is a choice. Yeah. And that's a, I think uh, it's a great thing for us to, uh, to stop on and just reinforce that message because the, the challenge I think in leadership, when we have to make some of those tough decisions, like you just alluded to, if I have to let somebody go is if I'm going to hold myself to that standard of happiness is my choice then however that person responds, reacts, or uh, accepts that situation, happiness is their choice. And they they need to accept responsibility for it. And it's not that there's anything you know horribly wrong with that human being. It's just we're not a good fit. And that's sometimes the way I would let people go. So this is just not a good fit for you. And I think that with another organization, you can do great. You've got great talents. You're a good person. But it's not working out here. I... Most of the time, I've I've had people most of the time that I've let go that have talked to me after the fact and, and actually said thank you. Now, it might be six months or a year later. You know, they're not real happy at the moment, but they realize they don't even realize that they're under the kind of stress in that tension of an organization where the values are different or the mission's different. They All they know is they're trying to survive. They're trying to survive and they're not recognizing this overwhelming stress that's causing them to lose sleep, to not do well in their work and all kinds of stuff. So happiness is a choice. What a great way to end it. I love it. Well, this experience with you worked for me. It's made me happy and that is a choice. So thank you so much for having me on here. It's been just a delight sharing with you and talking. Well, Chris, I I really appreciate it and uh, appreciate you sharing some of your journey, being vulnerable about your failures. We call them failures, but I, I loved it. I actually wrote it down. Were they really failures? I don't know if you remember saying that, but you asked yourself, were they really failures? Well, the result wasn't what we wanted it to be. And if we want to assume or label or judge that as a failure, certainly we can do that. I don't, you know, we can go into it. But the fact of the matter is when the result isn't what we want it to be, we can always look at it and be happy with what we learn from it. Exactly. I was going to say it's only a failure if you're not learning. Oh, yeah. And this is a, a journey of continuous learning. So, yeah. So there we have it. Chris Parker, our first international guest on Leading from the Front. Thanks so much for uh, being with us today. You're so welcome. Thank you. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And this has been Leading from the Front. Thank you. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.